This is The Blunt Doctor Show. And probably the first of two shows actually on a Friday. My timing's a little behind this week, I'm a little off, but fuck it, it's my show. As I always say, I can do whatever the hell I want to at any time, and I choose to do that. And today I'm recording in the afternoon, going to talk a little basketball, a tiny little bit of football, probably a shorter cast, because got the Suns game coming up, got Love After Lockup to talk about tonight, so probably going to do two shortened episodes could just combine them into one episode and post it later, but you never know with the sports world when the things you say are going to suddenly be irrelevant, you know, via a trade or an injury or a huge win or a huge loss. You never know when you're going to be talking about something and then suddenly that thing that you talked about for an hour means nothing anymore. And it's one of those things that everyone who's a podcaster goes through. You're talking, you're talking, you're talking, and then news breaks in it and invalidates your entire podcast. It happens doesn't happen typically with live radio people, right? They get to, they just have to pivot from whatever they were saying, but such is the danger of podcasting, and such is the danger of podcasting, so close to tip-off. But you know, I am a rebel. I am a maverick. I am a person who does whatever it is that he slash she wants to do. I am a they. I am an I. I am an island. I've drifted into song. In any case... One thing that really pissed me off this week, we saw that, and this part was awesome, the Celtics players and the the Heat players taking a knee, they almost suspended their game after the terrorist attack on the Capitol. But of course, what happened? The part that pissed me off is that Myers Leonard stands. Myers Leonard had to make his point that he would always stand for the anthem no matter what was going on. And he had to be the only one amongst everyone that would stand. And then posted a picture of himself doing it and tweeted, I stand for the blah blah, you know, some whatever Republican garbage. And it's just a a very interesting way to make every single person in and around your profession not like you. So I guess in that way, we have to respect Myers Leonard for standing up and saying, I don't want to be likable, and I'm not going to be likable. That's what he decided. He decided not to be likable, and truly, he's not. And just the idea that when domestic terrorists, you know, descend on our capital and try to destroy our democracy, uh, that Myers Leonard would essentially stand up for that, it says a lot about that. And I think it says a lot about his future with the Miami Heat, to be completely honest with you. I know that they have love and respect for the military and all these things, but when you can't even put aside your personal bullshit for a moment to recognize that something is wrong because you're just so obsessed with the idea that you can never be wrong, well, you have some form of narcissism. And that's, to me, what's going on with this guy. And I think that if all these people can sit here and criticize people who took a knee during the national anthem... I think I can sit here and criticize the shit out of this stupid asshole for deciding to be the only one to stand and be the, I'm going to stand up and blah, 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 blah. Now, you might be asking yourself, who is Myers Leonard? And my answer to that would be exactly. This is Myers Leonard clout chasing. Why else would you do this? You're trying to make yourself look better than the other people around you who, by the way, are the ones who are actually better than you because they're more well-informed and have a better stance on the subject. 
And this guy just wanted to clout chase, so he stands up in the middle of everyone else taking a knee and posts a picture of it online, you know, saying, you know, what an incredible, wonderful human being he is. Man, fuck Myers Leonard. Seriously, fuck this guy. Like, this is just bullshit. Like, who cares about you? Who cares about your racist ass bullshit? And if you're trying to sit here and say, well, I want to align myself with blah, blah, blah. Yeah, you good. You go ahead and align yourself with the people that we're done with in this country. You go ahead and align yourself with the right-wing extremist crazies that we're moving on from and that we're putting in the history books. All right? We're putting you in the rearview mirror. And this dude wants to stand there and clout chase and I am the whatever. You know, fuck you, man. Have some respect for your fellow human beings. And if every single person around you is telling you that your stance, literally in this case your stance, but if everyone around you is telling you that your stance is bullshit, if every single person has one stance and you're the one person who has the opposite stance and everyone around the country feels one way and you're going ahead and pivoting your stance so that you can go to that one little freak percentage of people that just openly expounds on how much they hate, then you really need to reevaluate every single thing about yourself. And I just really hope that in the NBA, a league that is, you know, social justice conscious, I just, I hope this dude gets blackballed. He won't because they would never do to someone what the NFL did to Colin Kaepernick. But I just, I'm just sick of these guys. I'm sick of these guys who want to sit here and stand up and say, I'm a patriot, I have the right to whatever, and my rights, blah, blah, blah. And they're really just saying, I want to be able to be racist whenever I want. And there's no way that you can sit here and stand up during a, a protest and say, well, I'm not aligning myself with the racists, I'm aligning myself with this subsection, which I personally believe isn't racist, even though some of the things... There's no way to say you're part of Team Trump or part of Team Law Enforcement or part of, you know, the team, team military industrial complex without saying you're part of the fucking problem. And I just, I hate this guy now. I've never been like a huge fan of him. He's not good. But, you know, I certainly was able to root for him before. And now I just won't. I, I'm really rooting against him. And, you know, I hope that, I just hope he doesn't go anywhere in the league because that's a dick move. And it's one of those things that only a white guy would do, of course. And, and, and there you go. And, um, yeah, I don't even want to talk about this stupid motherfucker anymore. Fuck Myers Leonard. Let's talk about another thing that pisses me off. We'll just do a two part rant here. Why the fuck is, uh, gambling not legal in Arizona at this point? Why don't we have daily fucking fantasy sports? I know this is a really hard pivot from, you know, talking shit about a racist, but, uh, I, uh, I really am annoyed that I don't get to play FanDuel. Daily Fantasy is awesome. And by the way, it's not a game of chance. It's a game of skill. You've got to know matchups. You've got to know what's going on. You've got to know the weather, depending on the sport. You've got to know a lot of things. And so this idea that Daily Fantasy Sports is just a game of chance and people would all lose their money, blah, blah, blah. It's so stupid. Let me spend my money on what I want to spend my money on. This whole, you know, for all of the, the, the Republican love for Trump and American and rights and blah, 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 blah. They sure do love a government that overreaches everything. They don't want to let us smoke marijuana. They don't want to let us gamble. They don't want to let us play daily fantasy. You can't play craps or roulette outside of Vegas. You can't do anything. They don't want to let us do fucking anything. Let me spend my money how I want to spend it. By the way, I make plenty of money gambling, so it's not a waste for me. It's a profitable venture. 
I understand that other people have gambling problems, but guess what? Addiction is a problem in and of itself, not because of gambling. Gambling is always going to exist, and the more you make it something that I have to drive four hours to do and waste so much money on because there's only one type of thing available, it's it's just dumb. Sports betting is smart. You can actually learn things and make a, you know, a, a, a predictable bet about an outcome. You know, it's just really short-term stock picking. It's really all it is. And it's just dumb that in this day and age, it's 2021, and there are like five states in this country that you can't play daily fantasy in. Only five, and I'm in one of them somehow. And of course, this is just one of the least progressive, most backward, dumbass states in the union. So there's no shock about that, that Arizona's behind the curve on basically everything. But how is something that they could tax and regulate and make money? Like, it took them this long to realize that marijuana is a money-making venture for you, too. Consider the possibility that you get to tax and bring in income for marijuana. And this state was like, no, 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 we don't want that. And they even ran fake ads lying about the revenue that Colorado received in order to try to trick people into not voting for it. That's how backward this state is. Daily fantasy and sports gambling are another thing that, you know, you can find ways to make tax revenue. You know, you allow a sports book to open and you can tax these things. And all of those things allow you to make more money as a state. And their just so regressive attitude towards everything ruins it. And so, you know, here I'm still stuck only being able to play Daily Fantasy if I happen to be in California or Nevada. I am in those places a lot, but it's still not something where I get to typically sit down and I'm not at home and I can't do hours of research or I have to do hours of research, then drive for hours, then place the bits. It's ridiculous. Make Daily Fantasy legal in Arizona. We've made marijuana legal. So we're finally catching up to the times on that. How is something that everyone loves to do illegal? Like gambling is not something that is strictly loved by progressives or something. Gambling is something that, you know, people of all, you know, political beliefs love. It's the same thing with marijuana. You go to a a marijuana dispensary in Laughlin and you're going to see a whole lot of people discussing their love for Donald Trump as they buy their weed. So some of these things have literally nothing to do with political affiliation and it's dumb that they're illegal. And the fact that you still can't play daily fantasy sports in Arizona is super fucking stupid. And I hate it, and it needs to change. And, uh, you know, write your congressman or something. Yeah. Speaking of gambling, we're just moving right along here. I fucking hate Nikola Jokic right now. And it's not that I don't respect his game, because I do. I definitely respect Nikola Jokic as a player. He's kicking ass lately. You know, everyone's talking about him as an MVP candidate. Really, honestly, truthfully, the MVP race right now, if you were to poll NBA people, I think it would be between Nikola Jokic and Joel Embiid. I think that those are the two that are really standing out most to people. I'd say Chris Paul, but no one would listen to me. Anyway, Jokic, um, I mentioned recently that I had Suns minus three and a half. They were up four. And Jokic hit a triple to... um, Cut it to one, and then the Suns ended up winning by three, so I didn't cover. And then last night, I had the under on the Mavs-Nuggets game, and it was a two-point game at the end, and Jokic had to sink a two-ball to go to overtime. It's like, man, you can't sink a three-ball and win the game, or you can't brick this two-ball and let me have it. you got to go to overtime. And I'm just really frustrated with that, because Nikola Jokic keeps fucking up my bets. And he win. You're, you're fucking up my bets, and so you're not even winning. Like, 
at a certain point, why are you doing this? <laughs> this is all satirical, obviously, but man, what I can tell you about those things is that while the Nuggets aren't playing well, the Nikola Jokic MVP stuff is real. If nothing, if for no other reason than he's clutch as fuck. Jamal Murray has been up and down post-bubble. We saw how good he can play in the bubble, of course, but he's been up and down since then, and Denver's not winning, but it's not because of Jokic. And he is in the clutch hitting shot after shot that matters, and they're still losing. And their defense just is not there, and when you lose, you know, some of your better defensive players, that's to be expected. Um, but they're not finding ways to recover yet. And again, I said I expected regression from a lot of you know, the Western Conference type teams. And I mean, this is kind of the stuff that we're talking about. They're struggling to play defense, and that means you're going to struggle to win games. So at least if there's a silver lining for me is that even though Jokic is fucking up my bets, at least he's losing. If he could turn it around and start actually win games, he might actually be in the MVP race, which would be, you know, very exciting for Nuggets fans and well-deserved. I mean, Jokic is, you know... Guys like Jokic are changing the way that we play basketball again. Because obviously for a while we had completely moved away from the big man. And this is something that I had talked about on the previous YouTube podcast was that the way that the game is trending right now is that you have to have big men to be able to win a championship. Because even if, you know, you're not necessarily going to play huge, how are you going to deal with Nikola Jokic? Or how are you going to deal with Joel Embiid? Or how are you going to deal with Anthony Davis? Or how are you going to deal with... Rudy Gobert defensively. You need someone to... There are a lot of bigs who are playing valuable minutes. DeAndre Ayton is becoming really good on both ends of the ball. You need someone to be able to box him out. Otherwise, he's going to get 10 offensive rebounds, and he's going to get 10 putbacks, and he's going to change the game completely. So where we were for a moment, where we were like, oh, the big man is dead, you shouldn't get big men anymore, you don't, you know, big men are running backs, they're just fungible, you just blah, blah, blah. You know, that's not the case anymore. And the Lakers just won a title, you know, by playing huge and then doubled down on that and went super huge, but sort of super huge without as much shooting. I'm on the record that I don't, you know, like what the Lakers did this offseason as much, but, um, and not that Montrezl Harrell is huge, but just in terms of another big, um, you know, you can see why they would do it because they just won a title with, you know, McGee and Dwight Howard playing you know, important minutes for them, and they really were necessary. And so with a guy like Nikola Jokic and with a guy like Joel Embiid, with those guys getting MVP consideration, you can really see the path to, you know, the whole, well, the only big men we want are the Draymond Greens. You know, that's over. And now we're getting back to, well, you know, there's a real reason that big men were so valuable for so long. It's just that now it's not so much, you know, the hulking behemoth Shaq types as it is, you know, agile guys who can defend the perimeter and slide back in and defend the rim. You need a little bit of both. Um, not that Jokic is necessarily that guy on defense, but he is in another world on offense with his ability to just, you know, play point guard as a seven-footer. Jokic plays the way I love to play 2K. I love to be a center and just throw passes to cutters and get, you know, guys open in the corner for triples. That's the way that Jokic plays in real life. So it's a pretty sick thing to see come to real life, especially from a dude who looks like he's just a foot taller than a regular human and doesn't even play in basketball shape, and yet somehow he just shows up to the court and hits wet triples, and it's just ridiculous. And I love it, and it's a very interesting thing. Speaking of another guy who's actually performing really well this season and who has been 
discussed as, um, you know, and, you know, well, I, some people were jokingly at least talking about Kyrie for MVP, not obviously for real, but he was balling out of his mind the first few games. And there was discussion about how, you know, I even said on this podcast that the fact that he was clearly the happiest that he's been is, you know, resulting in potentially, you know, what could be his best season. And we may have had to cool down on that. You know, the Nets are, uh, not necessarily playing any defense at all. One interesting thing though, he, basically just took a mental health day and skipped the game. And a lot of people are sort of rubbed the wrong way about that. It seems that, uh, you know, there's, I've heard different versions of the story, but essentially it seems like Kyrie Irving, uh, you know, was not feeling up to or able to play and, uh, you know, kind of took a mental health day almost. And if that's really what it is, and this is one of those things where you hear different versions of a story and, you know, sometimes you don't hear the real part until it comes out later. And so, you know, regardless of what, you know, we may or may not have heard, I don't know the whole story, but let me put it to you this way. From the way it's been relayed on Twitter and everything as like uh, Kyrie didn't feel up to playing, I think that we need to recognize that if we're going to acknowledge that physical load management is something that we respect and accept in the NBA, then I think we need to acknowledge that mental health load management is also something that we need to accept in the NBA. You know, Royce White, the, you know, the lottery pick who flamed out for the Rockets, his whole thing was he was afraid to fly and it made, you know, life in the NBA difficult because, you know, it wasn't, you know, everything in the NBA is flying. They're not taking buses anymore. You're flying everywhere you go. And that was simply uncomfortable for him. And so, you know, he tried to work it out with the Rockets where he could be on, you know, his own bus in most situations. And it was just a very, it was a very complex situation, but essentially his desire to control his own mental health protocol and his own travel really rubbed the Rockets the wrong way. And, you know, his career just never really took off. Whether or not he was truly committed to basketball is another question. You can make arguments about those things. I'm not going to sit here and talk about his mental health as a person, but the point is that the NBA really, despite being one of the most progressive, if not the most progressive sports league, you know, maybe the WNBA is more progressive, but of the big four, the NBA is probably the most progressive. And I, well, not probably, it definitely is. But despite that fact, and despite the fact that they recognize and acknowledge, you know, mental health, Kevin Love has been, you know, a forerunner on talking about his mental health issues and things like that. Um, despite the fact that they're, um, at the front of that within professional sports, it's not really like you can't say, Hey, I'm depressed and I need this day off. Like that's not really something that gets respected very much in the NBA. Cause you know, you have other players who will antagonize you for taking the day off and say, well, you're healthy enough to play, but I'm not mentally healthy enough to play. And that's the point that I think doesn't necessarily get looked at like the bubble was mentally difficult for a lot of players. They, you know, they didn't get to see their family, you know, their stress about the pandemic and the political situation and, you know, the unrest and, uh, you know, everything going on with police. And it was incredibly difficult for these players. And, you know, we're very hard on Paul George. We're very hard on Pascal Siakam. But these are humans. And despite the fact that they make hundreds of millions of dollars, they're human beings. And they do suffer from you know, mental health problems, just like any of the rest of us do. And so, you know, when I hear essentially that Kyrie Irving said, you know, I needed a mental health day, or at least that is sort of what it was. I don't really have a problem with that. And I think that 
we kind of need to back off because one thing that we as regular people, despite the fact that we're always like, oh, you make $150 million, you know, you should be able to be criticized. You should be able to deal with it. Like I, I've said that and I believe it. You should be able to deal with some criticism. You know, the money makes your life easier. You can buy anything you want to soothe yourself. You can go anywhere you want. You can unplug. You can do anything you need to do to make your life better. I'm not saying that money it makes everything, you know, perfect, but when you're not living check to check, then life is certainly better for you. And I think that's the situation that uh, a lot of players are in, is at least obviously they have their financial security. But that doesn't mean that everything is peachy keen and perfect and that you're not still going to have your days, especially when you're used to being around your family or you're used to being around your wife and children and now you can't see them at all in the midst of, oh, by the way, you might get shot by police just for being a person of color. There was so much going on in the bubble, and we've given them, guys who didn't perform well, we've given them so much shit about that, myself included. I'm not trying to excuse myself. I've done it too. But we're not putting mental health at the forefront of the thought process of, you know, what is, you know, good for our players or, um, you know, what is good for the team long term. If it's good for, you know... Kawhi Leonard to take a night off because his calf is bothering him, then why isn't it good for Kyrie Irving to take a day off if he's depressed? If it's going to get him in the right mind state and have him, you know, playing better for the next 10 to 15 games, then, you know, I think there's no problem with that. And for the record, Kyrie Irving has had in the past, he has had moments where he has expressed dating back to like his first or second year in Cleveland. He has expressed times you know, where he has disinterest in playing basketball and not long-term and not that he doesn't love the game, but Kyrie is a real person. He'll say things that he thinks, and there have been times when he has simply not felt up to it that day. He said it. And so I think that there is sort of, you know, I just think that there's this misconception that you're making so much money that it's not okay to take a mental health day. And that's wrong. It's just wrong because it is. It's okay for anyone to take the time that is necessary for them to get themselves right because this is not the playoffs. This is the first 10 games right now. If you skip game seven because of depression, sure. I mean, again, I would, medical health is important, but I also can understand a certain level of that's what we're relying on you for. You should have taken the time off earlier in the season. That's the point. Let him take times off in the first 10 games or the first 20 games. It's just not as important right now. And when you have your days, when you have an episode, you need to just be able to relax, and that's going to mentally charge you. And the fact that your organization supports you in that, that's going to help you guide them into and during the playoffs. And I think that a lot of what went wrong with Kyrie in Boston was simply his unhappiness with the city. He didn't connect with the guys like he did with other players. And now that you see him happy and thriving in an organization that actually supports him, I think things are going to go well. And I have, you know, we all have high hopes for the Nets. The defense is a problem, but I think Kyrie is going to continue to put up, you know, big games and, you know, continue to hit big shots and continue to be happy. And I think that it's crucial that we let that happen. And I think that we need to support more mental health within the NBA. And I hope that this is something that not just Kyrie can take advantage of, but that all guys can. Some days, and by the way, sitting a day out lets other guys step in and get minutes. You know, it's a great way to mix up the lineups and see what else you have. Um if you're competing for a playoff spot or you're competing in the playoffs, yeah, missing a game would be terrible. But I just think right now, guys should be able to say, hey, I'm truly not feeling it today. I'm truly having 
the need for a mental health day. I just don't see any problem with that. Speaking of the Nets, one interesting thing about them is the other night they're playing without their stars. Well, as KOC said uh, on the mismatch, they just reverted to the bubble Nets. And it was true. They, they beat the 76ers without their star players. And, you know, the interesting thing about the Nets is they do have the depth of that coaching staff means that they're always going to be able to adjust. Like, they will always be able to find new ways to play. You know, just if they call up G-leaguers and, you know, suffer through various 10-day injuries, and they're going to be fine because you've got so much, so many different minds. And I initially thought the whole, all that was going off the nets was like a too many cooks thing, right? I just thought there's too many people here and they are, there's, it's just going to be a struggle to get on the same page. But it really actually looks like the amount of respect that everyone has for each other. And truly with Nash, Amari and, and D'Antoni, like they literally are, you know, they go a long way. It does seem that there is an agreement from everyone that everyone's important because everyone brings something to the table that when things are not working or when someone's out, we have a different way that we can play or we have ways to create the same stuff we want to create. We still want to create looks for Joe Harris, even if it's not off of Kyrie and KD ISOs. Well, they can still do that. You know, they run the offense through Karis LeVert. And I was watching on the TNT overtime on League Pass last night, actually, or, um, and, um, I was just watching one of the cams and you could just see how everything flowed through Karis LeVert. And just for, you know, a few possessions, but it was just very interesting to see everything the Nets were doing, even when he wasn't necessarily shooting or finishing a pick and roll. It just all flowed through and around him. And it's just clear that the level of coaching on this team is going to make them compete at a level that, you know, even I didn't necessarily anticipate. We're all up and down on the Nets in terms of Everyone was worried about their defense. That's come to fruition. But they also have games where they look incredible, better than I thought they could. And I think that with the level of talent and with the coaching staff, it's going to take a few tweaks defensively to figure it out. But I'm a little less worried when you watch them come out and find ways to win with even their backup guys against a healthy Philadelphia team that's playing lights out, really. Um, and sure, you know, you just have nights where you shoot the ball well and everything, but I just think this coaching staff is going to be able to adjust in critical ways that are going to guide them farther than I may have anticipated. So as the season goes on, I'm really starting to get high on the nets and I'm also getting really high on the 76ers as well. My, you know, my feelings on the heat, obviously they don't look as good. I still think that Eric Spolstra is the best coach out of all that group, but uh, you know, the Heat are off to a cold start. Uh, everything I said about Duncan Robinson has probably been destroyed by this point. But not that he's been bad or anything, but just, you know, his, the gravity and shooting and the way that it was leading to Nets or to Heat wins is not quite holding up as well right now. We'll see. But, you know, the 76ers are really starting to show what they're made of and, you know, what level of, you know, again, talent they have. And, it's going to be difficult to, for them 
with there could be some coronavirus issues now with Seth Curry contracting it. We don't know about contract tracing. There could be some issues with the 76ers if he's out a while. You know, it, there's there's different stuff that that could go on. But in terms of how good they are just from, you know, A to Z as a team, I'm really starting to think the 76ers are are could be the best team in the East. I mean, everyone is getting on the Bucks for not doing it in the playoffs, and everyone was on the Drew Holiday thing, and we're going to take it to the next level. And I, you know, I've been a Buck supporter forever, but just the way things are going right now, I see more paths to success for the 76ers because, I mean, Daryl Morey fixed the majority of their problems, and truthfully, Doc Rivers is just a better coach for this team. For all of the hammering I have given Doc for some of the weird things he's done as a coach, he, like, he knows how to get Tobias Harris to play to his, you know, peak performance. And truly, all of the best years of Tobias Harris' career, or all the best months of Tobias Harris' career at least, have come when he was playing for Doc Rivers. Just truthfully, that's when he's been at his his absolute best. And he's showing that again now as he's really kind of come back and people were so dogging him. And now, I mean, not that he's necessarily quite worth that money, but he's still much better than he was last season. And, you know, I didn't love the Doc hire at all. I made fun of it a bunch. But it does seem like he's a good coach for this team. And it does seem like the group respects him and he has their, you know, their ears. And, you know, he seems to know certainly better than Ben Simmons did. You know, he and Daryl Morey have a better idea for what to do with Simmons and Embiid and how to put guys around them. And, you know, Elton Brand was was there. So, you know, that that's why I give Maury credit for what's going on right now because, you know, I mean, I think that Daryl Maury kept, wanted to keep Elton Brand around because he respected what he did because Daryl Maury has always been about stars. And Elton Brand compiled four stars on one team at one point. So, well, okay, Tobias Harris wasn't necessarily a star, but he was looked at as an, as an incredible, incredible fourth option when acquired. So, you know, I think Daryl Morey shares that philosophy. But, you know, as I mentioned before, it's going to be harder and harder. This is what Zach Lowe said, and he's right. It's going to be harder and harder to trade for James Harden as they win. And so the James Harden thing is getting interesting because as the Rockets – as Christian Wood looks really good with them, like, the James Harden trade stuff has kind of died down a little bit. Like, people aren't talking about it as much anymore. And I wonder if it's going to somehow just, like, fade out. I don't think it will. That seems a little nuts for it to just go away. I mean, he still has made the trade demand. But Tim McMahon said something on the Hoop Collective. And again, I'm just spending too much time talking about other podcasts but you're here to listen to me, one or two people who are listening, so I'm just going to relay the information. But he made the point that James Harden has, in previous off-seasons, not necessarily made trade demands, but he has been unhappy with the direction of the Rockets. And then they made moves to placate him, and things were fine. And so, you know, maybe some of that is Daryl Morey no longer being around, being there to make moves to placate him. But there is some possibility that 
Although James Harden certainly acted out this time more than he had before, there's some possibility that some of that was our eyes being looked at it more because it's the pandemic. So we're focused more on what people are doing in their personal time. And, you know, if anyone ever goes out, it's immediately news. And, you know, maybe there's some credence to the idea that Harden has kind of been unhappy a lot of times and that it's not that big of a deal and that if they start to win games, he forgets about it. And given how good of his coach Steven Silas is, I've been proven right. I've been saying that that Steven Silas should be hired as an head coach for years. I've been saying it forever. I've been proven right. He's a great head coach. The Rockets' offensive is is actually innovative and not just ISO, ISO, ISO. And, you know, there's just some possibility that maybe that goes a little better than we thought. Or that at the very least, it helps the Rockets hold on to him until the real trade packages become available closer to the deadline. Because there will come a point when someone maybe that we didn't anticipate sees an opportunity at a title and thinks that Harden is the piece. Now now that the Warriors are playing better with Draymond Green back and James Wiseman is showing himself to be a really good future piece, it's interesting. But if someone, you know, fancied themselves very close to a championship and or maybe not as close. Like, what if the Nuggets panic a little bit and decide that Michael Porter Jr. isn't what they thought he was, but the Rockets are still high on him? Like, something will happen. And James Harden is still likely to be traded, but at least for now, with things going well, it makes it a more palatable situation for them to just keep playing, and he can kind of, you know, keep his trade value up as the player that he is. Couple more positive NBA notes. Um, I love what the Cavs are doing. Like, they're, you know, the Cavs and the Magic are both playing, they're cutting, and, you know, the centers are such a heavy part of the offense, and they have a lot of motion, and, you know, everyone is playing together, and there are just certain coaches who can get teams to be more than the sum of their parts. And it seems like J.B. Bickerstaff is one of these guys because he is truly, like last night, despite many injuries, Cleveland is still able to come out with the win. And it's not like they're playing the Lakers, but still, they're a better team than anyone anticipated. And, you know, Andre Drummond is... I mean, yeah, we all made fun of that insane play last night, but I mean, he's still having nice games and fitting in. And I thought that there was no possibility that Andre Drummond might stay with the Cavs long term. I thought that was just no chance. But like, given his connection with their young guards and given how they all sort of blend well together, like, why wouldn't you try to keep him for at least a few years? I mean, if there is a sex land title window, then, you know, Drummond maybe probably is towards the end of his prime at that window. But if there is one, he's certainly going to help you build and win in the meantime. And how many great free agents are you getting to come to Cleveland? You're probably not getting many. You're certainly not going to have to pay him anywhere near what he's making right now. I mean, if they could get Drummond on like a three-year, 45 50, 60 million, like, 
I would do that. And, you know, I don't know if the Kevin Love situation makes that more or less difficult. I don't know if they still intend to keep Love or try. I don't know exactly how that all will play out. But, uh, you know, I was someone who thought that there was literally no possibility that that Andre Drummond would stay with the Cavs long term. And now I'm thinking he just fits with what they want to do. And as goofy as that play was last night that we all made fun of him on NBA Twitter for, I don't think it's going to be hard to he just it, it blends well. And maybe by the end of the season, the wheels fall off and it's all a joke and, you know, who knows. But I, I would have thought there was no chance Drummond was going to stay heading into the season. And now watching how things are going, I think I'm trying to keep him around if I'm the Cavs. And I think that as bad as the beeline situation went for them, it seems like having J.B. Bickerstaff around as a, you know, an emergency guy to promote that could take over long term seems to have worked because, you know, he's, he's doing it. I like what he's doing. And I, you know, I hope that the Cavs continue to win because I want them to stay this course because you're never going to find another LeBron. So don't try to do that. Do what you're doing right now. Draft and develop talent. Mix in crafty veterans. And just win games. I like it. Final thought on the NBA. I know I mentioned this dude before, but I seriously think that Taylor Horton Tucker is a star. I think that he's going to end up being the Lakers' third star. I think they've lucked into something here because this dude, it reminds me of, and I'm not saying that they play the same way, but it reminds me of watching James Harden during his first couple years of Oklahoma City. And my friend Keith, Keith will get you on the show soon. I always say that. I He will vouch. I said to him, you know, this dude's going to be a star. This James Harden, he's he's doing everything and he's, he's an offensive force. And I actually at the time said that the Thunder should trade Westbrook over Harden because A, Westbrook was a much bigger star at the time and the trade package return was going to be way, way bigger than what you would get for Harden. B, Harden and Durant actually have games that fit together better. And C, long term, I thought that Harden's skills would uh, stand better than Westbrook's. And I ended up being right on all of those things. And I just get the same feeling when I'm watching Taylor Horton Tucker because he can do everything. Like, I've seen him block and completely swallow up shots. You can watch him throw slick little passes out of the pick and roll. He can get to the rim with abandon. I mean, his his shooting is solid. I know that he's not phenomenal. There are holes in his game. Obviously, there's work to be done. I understand all that. He's not, you know, you know, some Duncan Robinson shooter. He's not some Tony Allen defender. I understand these things. But my point is that this dude can do a little bit of everything in a way that he's got the wingspan. He's got the size. I mean, I don't know how the whole league kind of missed on him, but this is someone who is greatly going to impact the Lakers' future because as LeBron ages, they're now going to have a third guy who can probably put up 20 a game and a second guy who will be able to carry the load for them when LeBron is out. I'm like very seriously high on this kid. I really seriously think they've got something here. And if I was them right now, I would be playing him 
all of the minutes. Like I, I just every minute that I could get for him, I wouldn't give the minutes to West Matthews. I would give them to THT. That kid is going to be special. And I know that it's hard to develop young guys around LeBron because LeBron wants to win and play with veterans. But I think that, you know, for all the talk about, for all my issues with what the Lakers did in the offseason, if THT is who I think he is, then there's literally no problem with any of those things because that's a game changer. So as much as I hate this as a, you know, diehard Suns fan, I'm trying to tamper my praise here or temper my praise here, but, um, tamper, because <laughs> it's the Lakers. That's funny. Um, in any case, I really think that Taylor Horton Tucker is going to be incredibly good for the Lakers. And I think that they have, whether it is through incredible scouting or incredible luck, I think that they have found a player who is going to tilt the scales for them. I know they have LeBron and AD, I understand that, but you still have to have other guys. And they have found someone who is more than just another guy. And I think he's more than a role player. And I think he's, I think he can be, his ceiling is good enough to be third star. I think his floor is fifth starter, really good starter on a championship team. I think he's going to be that good. I just, you just see it. You see all of the skills and when you have all of the skills and all of the talent and all of the size and you just have to develop those things, I just, I really believe. I really do. I think that, you know how good Lakers fans think Kyle Kuzma is? Like, they think he's almost a star player. I think that Taylor Horton Tucker can be that good. As good as Lakers fans think Kuzma is. Not as good as Kuzma is. He can be better than Kuzma. In any case. Big developments for the Lakers if he, like, turns out to be as good as I think he can be. And then finally, one quick NFL note. I'm going to do some more NFL talk on this other show uh, that I record later tonight where I talk love after lockup. We'll talk the uh, divisional matchups as well. I wanted to wait as long as possible to talk about those and make my uh, predictions because of everything going on with the COVID situations and, you know, the Browns coaching staff and, and all that good stuff. So um, I'm going to do that later tonight. Uh, so again, two episodes today, most likely, uh, but that, that will get uh, all, all, all posted. In any case, the one thing I wanted to talk about in the NFL before heading out here was the Deshaun Watson situation. Now, I had two inclinations on this. Number one, all the people saying that Deshaun Watson wants to, or is going to be traded are national people. If you look at the local Houston media, they're saying that there's no fucking way that the Houston Texans would trade Deshaun Watson under any circumstances, regardless of if he asked. It doesn't matter. They wouldn't do it. So if you ask the local people, this isn't even a discussion. And the thing is, my initial thought was I was inclined to agree with them because as much as I hate John Gambadoro for his Trump lovingness, he knows the Suns better than anyone. And when he said that the Suns were not interested in D'Angelo Russell and many national writers said that they were. I sided with the national writers. Well, he ended up being right. The Suns had no interest in D'Angelo Russell. And he ended up being wrong about, you know, he initially said there was no way that the Cardinals would draft Kyler Murray and trade Rosen. He was wrong there. And the Cardinals, I think, changed their opinion over time on that one. But I think that ultimately, we do have to look at who is most plugged into these teams. And... Who is trying to generate ratings? 
if Pro Football Talk wants to talk about theoretical Deshaun Watson trades, that's not because someone in Houston told them that it was likely to happen. And so when we're looking at the sources on information, it just helps to know who is the most plugged in. Sure, Woj is the most plugged into every NBA team, but if you're just looking for news on the Suns, you go to Gambo. You don't go to someone saying stuff in USA Today. That's just typically how it truly works. And so as far as the Deshaun Watson stuff goes, I really don't think that there's any possibility that he will be traded. I just don't see it happening. However, in the event that this occurs, it would be absolute fucking malpractice for the Patriots not to do every single thing that they could to acquire Deshaun Watson. In a world where Deshaun Watson is available, the Patriots have a connection to the new GM and Jack Easterby, who is the whatever, the, the football czar, or whatever the hell he is. Nick Casario is the new GM. He worked for Belichick. If they decide that they are going to trade Deshaun Watson, and again, the answer has been, it's probably no. But in a world where they're going to do that, it would be fucking, it would be like a fireable offense for Bill Belichick not to do every single thing that he could to get Deshaun Watson. I don't care about picks. Give them all the picks. Who cares? What do the Patriots do with picks anyway? We trade down and get more. We get more out of undrafted free agents than we do out of first round picks. So for all of the, I think that there's no chance that Deshaun Watson will be traded. But in the event that he is, Fuck the Jimmy G nonsense. Just fuck all of that. Bill Belichick has tons of cap space. We know he doesn't care about his picks. Go get Deshaun Watson. If he is somehow available, mind trick your former employees into sending him to New England. I would forgive a lot of what I have said about Bill Belichick if he got Deshaun Watson to New England. I'm always going to be a Tom Brady first guy, but I'm still always going to be a diehard Patriots fan too. I just have two teams right now. What can I say? Call me a bandwagon fan. I don't give a fuck. I love Tom Brady. I've always loved him. I'm always going to love him. I'm always going to love the Patriots. And if if they have the opportunity to acquire Deshaun Watson, you have to do it. I don't think that they will. I don't think that that, that opportunity will come up. I think the Texans would be stupid to trade Deshaun Watson. You have him under contract. Just find a way to smooth it over. Yeah, Bill O'Brien fucked it up. We understand. But you can fix it. You have him under contract. But if they're going to be dumb, send him to New England and piss off everyone in the league. Be very funny. He really would. And that is the Blunt Doctor Show. Number one of the day, at least. And we are heading into an evening of fun and delight, and we are heading into a fun weekend of playoff football, which I will talk about later. Enjoy your evening. Enjoy my next show. Enjoy this show. Like, rate, subscribe. Tell everyone. Check me out on Instagram and Twitter. At Blunt underscore Doctor underscore Rx. Peace.